welcome to another episode of Expensive Lessons, where company directors share with you the fruit of their labor, the challenges, the experiences, the lessons that they've learned during their careers, um, short or long, as entrepreneurs, businessmen and women. Um, Today, I have a very unique podcast um, in our over 18 months of recording this podcast. This will be the first podcast that I will be sharing with you where I don't have my co-host with me. Yes, Afalabi, unfortunately, cannot join us today. Um, no, he's not skiving. No, we have another fight. Um, what it is, is he being the dutiful husband that he is, committed himself to um, supporting his wife as she she continues to grow her her business and that meant him doing some very long hours last night and he's not feeling great but um, the bigger picture is that um, first of all we can understand how flexible we need to be on occasion when supporting business when growing our, our, our entrepreneurial venture um, and the second uh, lesson that we can take away from that is the importance of rest Sometimes we overstretch ourselves and then we don't perform to the best of our ability. So uh, this morning we had a conversation and I encouraged him, catch up on rest, make sure you feel better and we'll catch you for the next one. But he unfortunately is going to be very disappointed to have missed this podcast of all podcasts because this one is very pertinent to him and some of the experiences that he has as a father. He has a young daughter who has got um, eczema. Uh, She's very sensitive to different forms of fabrics. She's very sensitive to um, certain water, even touching her skin. And if she um, eats certain foods, her skin can flare up in in rashes. Um, And because his his, um, wife is is such a, a diligent, researcher she has looked up and down for different types of um soothing balms tonics etc to help relieve this problem um but today uh, I, i'll be speaking to an individual who had a similar story a similar challenge and decided to take a very different approach to addressing that issue in his life i'm joined by yao who is the founder and ceo of ava estelle now, Ava Estelle is an all-natural skincare brand made, I love this bit, made with melanin in mind. Um, and they've got a range of products that help to address hyperpigmentation, stretch marks, blemishes, dark spots, dark areas. Um, and specifically, it talks about dealing with some of the after effects of um, psoriasis and eczema. Um, so Yao has, has, has grown this business over the last few years into... Um, a, a, an organization that serves its its uh, community well to the point that they've got a large number of extremely committed fanatic um, fans. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm not going to provide any more introduction. I'm just going to um, ask Yao to, to join us and, and, and let's delve into it. Welcome, Yao. Thank you, Abiola. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I hope I did um, the the brand justice, Ava Estelle, but I, I'd like to hear about the brand in your own words. Tell us about your company. Of course. Good morning, guys. Um, so Ava Estelle, like you mentioned, is an all natural skincare brand, um, but made with melanin in mind, as in that was the number one issue that we saw when you know, I came across the idea and thinking about 
you know, what to do for our community. A lot of the times, a lot of the large companies don't necessarily consider us when they're formulating products and they don't really understand, you know, our skin color and, you know, the silent battles that we fight uh, when we're looking for solutions for our skin. Um, so we will probably dive into the story a little bit more about how the brand came about and how they obviously we got about to produce the products that we have now. Um, but so far, I'm quite happy about the journey. Um, it seems that our products are, you know, working wonders for our customers. And, and like you said, we are able to satisfy their needs, help them with the issues that they have and in turn they're able to reward us by being loyal customers that's great and um you you alluded to the to the start of the journey uh, in your introduction um yeah. tell us about it you know as as, a, as an individual who started um effectively a cosmetics brand yeah um is this because you had a, a background in cosmetics is this because you you um have been in the industry for years how did you actually get to the point where you had started and now run a successful skincare brand yeah of course so uh so the story is twofold right so um i'll talk about how uh we got about the idea and obviously my background a little bit as well and how i was able to sort of like go about formulating you know a, a cosmetics brand so if i'm honest so this brand basically started just about a year ago so it was um uh, we went live uh last year october during lockdown um but i actually came across the idea about four years prior. Um, so I'm currently married, but when I met my to-be wife, obviously, you know, going out, um, you know, dating, all of that stuff, I got to realize that she always chose to, um, anytime we went shopping or something like that, she always chose to sort of like buy long sleeves, blouses, or on certain occasions we would go out to dinner and then she wouldn't sort of like take her pair of jackets and that got me really intrigued. And um me knowing me, I just started asking questions like, why do you always go for go for these, you know, kind of clothing? Or, you know, it's not it's not really cold. Why do you have your jacket on, etc.? Um, so not long after that, I got to realize that um she struggled with some hyperpigmentations and some marks on her arm that made her feel really insecure about it. And knowing me and you know, just my mind always goes, okay, cool. So what's the solution, right? So in my head, I'm thought, surely you can find something in the market that you can buy to address these concerns and then you know you can be on your way but it turns out that wasn't necessarily the case um i soon got to learn that especially for for black people people of color in general um there is a massive um stigma about skin lining products and at the time um what a lot of sort of like um solutions out there was associated to chemicals and then i.e skin lining products so obviously no one wanted to touch them um because of that you no know, stigma nobody wants to lighten the skin everyone wants their skin glowing in its natural form as best as possible um so the entrepreneur in me and like uh, you know um you know my head that that light bulb moment then went up at the time I'm like okay cool so if there are people struggling with this right i.e my girlfriend at the time surely she must not be alone so I started talking to a few of my friends and I got to realize this is like one big pain point that people are silently struggling with. Um, everyone sort of like deals with it themselves. They don't really talk about it, but it seemed to be an issue in the community. Um, that's when I thought, okay, maybe there might be something here. Let me go off and start researching to see what this issue is and, you know, what potential solutions there could be out there. And a little bit of my background of how I got to be able to sort of like research and formulate as well is I've always sort of like 
wanted to be an entrepreneur slash was sort of doing it. So my journey, I'll say my journey started about when I was 16. I had a cousin that um, sort of like reeled me into it. And at the time it was simply, I think he wasn't like, he used to import some goods from China. And I remember very vividly, he gave me these um, hair straighteners and he thought, oh, like I'll sell this to you for like 40 quid. Um, it's up to you what you do with it. I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. I'll just take it and put it on eBay and Amazon and see if I can sell them. And to my surprise, I put them on Amazon and they were selling for like a hundred pounds each and I was buying them for 40 pounds. Now God knows how much he was buying them for. I was like, oh, this, this is nice, right? <laughs> Let's do more of it, <laughs> you know? So that is where my buck for entrepreneurship came from, but it wasn't necessarily just wanting to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneur's sake. I think I had, I've always had the passion of wanting to help others. Um, so like I can remember vividly, like my first career goal was to be a doctor. And then, you know, I started doing this. I was like, oh, there's more money in this. So maybe, you know, being a doctor might not be, you know, um, I wanted to be, I wanted to be someone that helped people, but then had money at the same time. Like I, I, at a young age, everyone wants to be rich, right? We look up to like footballers and rappers and like, okay, cool. So for me, I'm like, well, I can't play sports. <laughs> you know, I can't rap to save my life. So obviously, and it seems like going to be a doctor is going to be the next 10 years of my life in, in school. So what's the other alternative? How can, how, how else can I, you know, um, live my passion of helping people, but, you know, get into that financial freedom that we all, you know, strive to get to. Um, so starting that sort of like brought my attention to the whole world of entrepreneurship. And I really just started to dive in, sort of like learning about, you know, that's when I started to learn about tech, Silicon Valley, everything that was going on in the world of entrepreneurship, what others were doing, people doing like crazy fundraisings and, you know, crazy exits. And that world just excited me. Um, so I've always been on that journey ever since. Um, so throughout school and uni, um, I've, I've probably started about 10 different projects that kind of didn't work out prior to this. And I remember vividly trying uni. Um, I'm not sure if you've been to Warwick before. I think um, I did I did go to uni with your wife, actually. Um, we were in the same year. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if you've been to Warwick or I, I, I don't know if you guys were dating at the time. Or, no, if, no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, but Warwick is like literally a campus uni in the middle of nowhere where everything is in one place. So that meant that we only had like only about five, you know, food places to eat. And one, I realized students are lazy, right? No one wants to get on the bus to go into like Coventry Town Centre for half an hour to grab Nando's and the likes of things. I thought, okay, cool, mate, I've got a car in London. Why don't I just bring it down and like set up like a delivery system for all these restaurants that don't deliver? Bear in mind at the time, there was the likes of like, your just eats that will you know deliver your you know your dirty kebabs and you know takeaways your Chinese but there was no one basically doing the delivery style so I like to say I started delivery before delivery came about this was in 2011 and <laughs> delivery started in 2013 right um I thought like I it just never made sense why guys like Nando's and Wagamama's never really delivered to you and I thought that that's the place we all enjoyed to go to yeah. um but no one can be asked to go to town and no one's bringing it to us. So I thought, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's just do something around that. Um, so that was really exciting time. I almost failed my first year. I think I passed with like 40% or something like that. And the pass mark was 40%. Thank God, like, like my first year didn't count. <laughs> so I had to kind of like rethink my life in terms of my, what my priorities are, try and get my, you know, uni education out of the way, you know, trying to get this business going. But anyway, long story short, um, so the idea was essentially going to tech, but 
I, I was doing something to do with food and, um, and tech at the same time. We did the whole delivery business. It turned out that throughout my career, I, I ended up moving towards the food section um, of my experiences. So after uni, I joined another startups who were producing like um, raw vegan energy bars. And then I moved on to developing some, you know, um, good for you energy drinks and stuff like that. So I became sort of like an expert in food formulation, basically. So that's where my sort of like background in putting things together come from. So when it came to the cosmetic stuff, um, I didn't necessarily have a direct experience in cosmetic formulation, but I just, I knew how things were formulated because I was in that world. And it was a very transferable skills in terms of reading the regulations, what's required, what's not required, um, what you can do, how to get your test done, how to get it safety approved, extra. And um, so, yeah, so when I came across, you know, this idea of speaking to my then girlfriend, it all sort of like married together. Um, but you'll be appalled to hear that I probably sat on the idea for about four years and never really did anything with it um, until until lockdown. Um, and I saw I saw one cosmetic brand, brand in America who I think so they operate on the drop model. Essentially, they sell like one day a month and obviously they build hype towards the next drop and then extra. And I think they did like a million dollars in sales in like eight minutes of, you know, releasing their products. And I saw that on that way. I've got an idea. Like, why am I just sat on this, you know, trying to pursue other things? And clearly there's something here that we can work on. Um, so basically spend my whole lockdown, you know, going through all my notes from like four years ago, um, you know, reformulating everything, testing on people, making sure that, you know, we've seen the required results, um, setting it off for safety approval, doing everything, all of that, everything that you have to do to make sure that obviously the product's ready to go. And uh, we launched on uh, October 17th. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, this the, the journey so far, you know, like, even makes me speechless you know how how fast the brand has grown since then so yeah so that's like a um a snippet of like i know you probably have a lot of questions and everything i've just said but that's sort of like the background on how the brand came about and a little about my background and how i was able to pull all of that together yeah no um you're, you're absolutely right there's a lot that i could take away from what you just <laughs> said which i'm very grateful for i think the first thing i'll say is that you are putting many husbands to shame <laughs> um, and yeah I, i'm not sure if i'm gonna let my life my wife listen to this one um, but no I, absolutely i think we we speak a lot of, on this podcast about identifying a problem to solve yeah and it's very important that there's a clear problem statement that you're addressing um but just because one person in your life has mm -hmm. a problem doesn't make a business um so 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 what you did was you started to talk to friends and yep. start to identify that this was actually quite a broad issue that many people were, were um, facing. And that was as a result of you conducting research um, and something else, which is a core theme of many of the founders that I've spoken to, in particular, Black founders, is the importance of brands having a social value, social message. Um, and this one is, is, is very clear. Um, so in terms of my, my, my takeaway, you know, there's, there's a lot that... that I think people can learn about starting a business, yeah. making sure that it's something that you care about, making sure that you've clearly identified the problem um, and also making sure that this problem is big enough um, to, to make a business. And um, one of the stigmas that we, we talk about quite a lot in business or entrepreneurship is the idea of wanting to be rich. Yeah. Um, it's not, okay. it's, it's for some reason we all want to start businesses, but it's not okay for people to desire to be rich, which I think is really interesting because I want to be rich. Um, um, 
but but i think it's very important that people think about that question before they start their business because mm-hmm. not every business is going to make you rich some businesses are going to take up all your time and sustain you yeah same way that a nine to five would well, not every business is going to have the level of reach that you need mm-hmm. to make you rich so once again i think it's very important that we conduct our research and make sure that we understand how big could this business be? What if if this business um, could be scaled up to the level that we wanted? How big could it possibly be? Now, if I, for instance, was selling, um, um, I, I grew up in Brixton, um, yeah. and if, for instance, I was selling T-shirts um, uh, which had my my road, oh, um, my the road that I grew up's um, yeah. uh, plate on it. I don't think that I think that business could sell maybe uh, ten, maybe fifteen shirts, but it's not going to be big enough for, uh, to sustain me. So, um, identifying something that a large number of people want, as well as something that a large number of people are willing to pay for, is is key. There, um, yeah. you also gave me a lot of useful insight into your your entrepreneurial story, and um, it's always fun to hear about people's kind of early entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, I wasn't selling um, hair straighteners on eBay. I, I was selling um, Nintendo Wii nunchucks. Do you remember when the Nintendo Wii came out and they had the accessories? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I was selling on 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 eBay. And yeah, again, making nice margin um, on that. At that young age, you think, oh my god, like I'm making all of this. <laughs> You absolutely know, is this okay? like a thousand pounds a month you have you have no bills nothing to worry about you open exactly <laughs> and I, I wasn't aware at the time of of things like tax corporation yeah. tax i wasn't even incorporated so that went all <laughs> back into my pocket um but my, my question to you i've got a quick one and then i want to delve into some more uh, detailed questions you talked about you doing a range of products uh, of projects sorry while you were at warwick university mm-hmm. and landing on something which ended up being quite successful do you remember your least successful project um every single one apart apart from this one <laughs> honestly um i mean the reason why i say this is because uh nothing I've, I've probably tried my hands about 10 or 15 different things right um purely because i think in order to be successful and, that, and this is one of the lessons i've learned as well as um we've been building over still is that you actually only need to be right once and we um as early entrepreneurs, we undervalue the um, the value of timing, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not necessarily because you're not good enough or your idea is not good enough. Sometimes it's all about timing and ev- everything aligning in your favor. Um, so everything I've done before, maybe I might have had mild successes, but nothing has really, really worked um, on like on this on this scale until this one, and to. And for me, it's all been a, a, a learning journey. Looking back, it was because I did all of those things. I was able to, for example, know how to run Facebook ads. So when I got to this one, it wasn't something I had to take time out of to go and learn. There's so many things that you learn across the journey that you don't even realize that will be beneficial to you like down the line. And then at some point it all comes together. Uh, so for me, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I started businesses where I you know, made about, I don't know, 
10k a year 20k 30k a year like you were saying sometimes it just sustains you um but nothing really sort of like took off and all of that took time sometimes i dedicated everything to it like even worked on it full time i might spend two years on a certain project that didn't necessarily work out um so everything has been sort of like a learning journey and um and also like i think it's also it's important like going back to the um to the money and being rich um point is that for me i think it was it wasn't necessarily wanting to be rich but i think it was necessarily just wanting financial freedom and that's sort of like what i mean by being rich because when i look at sort of like you know i had like immigrant parents that my my mom was the first one to sort of like migrate to the uk i was born in ghana by the way um so it was me and my dad and all, all my siblings we all stayed in ghana my mom was here and i think we only that like, we moved over when i was about 10 or something like that and then she tells the story where when she first landed in the uk um I think she landed on like 30th of December or something like that. And at the time it was, it was snowing heavily. Right. And imagine someone that's never, <laughs> never been in the temperature less than probably 20, 25 degrees. All of a sudden she's in like minus, right. Freezing. And you know, see that journey of wanting to build a better life for us and watching her, you know, she was a, she was a midwife, but sometimes I watched her do like double shifts. She would go and do a 12 hour morning shift and, you know, go straight to a night shift and just watching that, just wanting more and being able to be like, okay, cool. At some point, you know, I don't have to worry about money. My family doesn't have to worry about me. Not necessarily being a millionaire, billionaire. That, that I didn't really necessarily care about that. So growing up, I thought, okay, cool. Being able to do something that makes you hundred K a year, you know, that's, that's all you needed. Um, you'd be surprised with our tax system. That's probably not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is um, not. But it, it was that sort of like mindset, not necessarily, you know, um, I didn't really care about millions or billions, whatever. I just wanted to do something that worked, that meant that you didn't have to worry about money. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything I've done um, has been a painful lesson until now. <laughs> <laughs> no, and but, but what you say about developing muscle memory, I think is really yeah. key here. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that, young entrepreneurs or early entrepreneurs um, should, should, should gain is about resilience. 100%. The importance of bouncing back from failure, because even in successful businesses, you're going to have mini failures, micro yeah. failures um, every day. I do sometimes worry actually about founders and entrepreneurs who have only ever won because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not wishing this on them, but failure is inevitable um, and if you haven't developed the muscle memory, if you haven't developed the skills about bounce, around bouncing back from failure or um, starting again, rebuilding yourself up, then it can be a very scary prospect. And um, fortunately, when, when you have had some, some failures and some successes, you look at every brand with the, the perspective of this may not be around forever. Yep. So how do I position myself? Mm-hmm. so that if it does fail i still have a soft landing so i think that's yep. a, a really important lesson for people to think about some people put all of their en- energy and efforts into one idea yeah and so they're crushed when that idea doesn't succeed whereas most entrepreneurs that that we, we speak to on here have had many many ideas or many iterations of the same idea mm-hmm. so that they're able to move from 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 even one time period to another and still yep. be successful tell me a little bit about starting a business in lockdown right for me um so in our case 
all the stars aligned, right? So probably the answer I'm going to give is will probably not be sort of that typical of a lot of other businesses that were going through a lot of struggles. And obviously lockdown was terrible for, for many businesses, especially those in sort of like retail um, businesses. But for us, and that's why it's so important, like you said, to have that resilience, because like I was saying, you only have to be right once. And sometimes you don't know when that time is going to be. You just have to be able to be present and be able to go for it. So for us in our, um, in our case, uh, in lockdown was almost like the perfect combination of everything, right? So we had one, we had people at home, um, especially in the UK, in my opinion, people probably have excess amount of money because at least everyone was being paid 80% of their, of their wages and they had nowhere to spend it. So for me, people had money in their pockets. Um, there was a whole sort of like George Floyd movement and everything happening online. So there was, there was a big move in terms of um, businesses around black founders and doing things for people in our community. So there was a big push in that everyone was looking for, you know, you know, to buy and support businesses within the community. Um, and again, people are at home, they're probably spending a lot of time in the mirror thinking, oh, maybe I struggle with this. I can buy something with excess, um, with a little bit of extra money in the, in the pocket. So for me, I think it was the best timing to do it. If I'd done this at any other time, maybe we, we wouldn't have seen the level of success that we are seeing now. Um, so yeah, it was, I would say it was, it was fairly straightforward because luckily for me, all the, all the stars aligned. Um, all I had to do was, and I was fortunate enough that all the services I, I, I needed were still able to work because one, we needed suppliers. Suppliers weren't necessarily affected because it was work from home if you can't go to work. And obviously with their businesses, they had to go to work because it's not like an office-based business. So we were able to get the supplies. You know, we probably got a lot of things off Amazon as well. You know, Amazon deliveries were coming in. Um, luckily, you know, the lab that I used um, were still able to function and test out our products for us. Um, so that was fairly straightforward. And... Yeah, so again, lockdown, I was being paid to sit at home to do nothing. So there was revenue coming in and I had, you know, 24 hours in the day to formulate, you know, you know ship off samples to friends and family to test, do all of those things. Everyone was was on their phone on Instagram. So anytime you put something out, engagement rates were through the roof. You know, was, you don't have people at work that, you know, you, you so basically everything basically aligned then for this type of business. Um and that's why when we launched, it literally sort of like skyrocketed because we were putting the right product out. It was solving the right problems. People had a little bit of money in their pockets. Everyone was online watching what's going on. There was a movement that was supporting black businesses and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I was, I was quite fortunate in that case. And um, like I said, if I had done this at any other time, I probably wouldn't have seen the level of success that we are seeing now. Unfortunately, other businesses obviously didn't enjoy the same um, level of, uh, I would say, um luck in a way um and again sometimes you make it on luck right uh, if i didn't do it then we won't be where we have um we are today so um yeah that was uh I'll, yeah. I'll call it time and not necessarily luck because again luck is when preparations meet opportunity so yeah and, and i think that level of humility is important just to understand that there are um elements factors beyond your control that can play in the success of your business. I think okay. it's important to consider that when you're being successful, but yeah. it's also important to consider that when you fail, um, because once again, there are elements beyond your control, which may con contribute and want, and 
I, I encourage people, as we said, just to be resilient. Yeah. Um, Yao had 10, 15 projects um, underway before he hit on something which grew to, to, to this one. And it's just going from strength to strength. And part of the reason why it's so successful is all of the lessons he learned on the way um, from those 15 different uh, ventures are now all being fed into this one venture which is growing successful. And I'm sure it won't be one venture for long. It could be two, three or four more successful ones. Um, interestingly enough, um, uh, th there is uh, something called the Pareto distribution, um, which is actually referred to in the Bible. So it's also known as the Matthew principle, right. um, which is uh, to those who have uh, much, much will be given. And to those yeah. who have little, much will be taken away. And it's interesting because when you do get um, uh, a win, it can seem like you start to develop momentum and then yep. you try your hand at something else and it grows and you try yourself at something else and it can grow. So um, I think, you know, having that, that success um, can, can only potentially sprout into to more success in the future. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit more specifically about you developing your first product. Yeah. So um, you've identified a need, mm -hmm. you've spoken to individuals um, who, who, who share a similar problem, a similar concern. Yeah. And now you're actually going to create your first product. Mm -hmm. What was it and how specifically did you turn it into something that you could hold in your hand? Um, so... Number one, so, so what's important for me is understand the customer psychology and obviously as entrepreneurs as well, that's that's another lesson that um, I don't think people uh, prioritize earlier on, especially when you are, I made these mistakes, right? I don't necessarily care about what the, you know, what, what the customer was thinking in their head, right? Mm. Uh, after a while, you learn these things. Obviously, you grow this muscle memory to understand that of the back of your head, you'll be able to analyze exactly what's going through the customer's head so that you can actually give them what they're looking for. Um, so for me, it was really, really important to understand the actual real need of the customer and um, or the potential user and what was important to them. And I soon realized that there was a very, very fine line, especially with what we do, um, uh, fading hyperpigmentation and uh, being on the wrong side of that very fine line of being considered as a bleaching product, right? And that's really one thing that I really wanted to, you know, distinct away from our brand as in like, we are not that. So for me, it was important sort of like using like only natural ingredients, for example. Like you could use other ingredients that will work, However, when people then start reading your ingredients on the list and they can't pronounce it, naturally, what would they be thinking, right? Mm. Um, so for me, it was really, really important. It obviously makes the formulation a little bit more difficult because um, then if you're only going to stick to natural only ingredients, there are solutions out that they can just put it in like that and it will work straight away. But again, it's manufactured in the lab. Using natural only ingredients means that not everything sort of like holds together properly. It doesn't necessarily gel together. Uh, your formulation falls apart when it sits there for about 30 days. You have to start considering all of those things. So it makes the whole process a little bit more difficult. But for me, that was important because if we're going to do this right and if the customer is going to perceive us as the right product that they want to use and not necessarily sort of like, you know, banish us then we have to do that right so for me it was very very important that the ethos and the philosophy of the product was right um so that's number one understanding that these you know customers if you go on the wrong side of the very fine line it could be that your business never 
left off. So, you know, going for a natural only formulation um, was important to me. And once, and then through research, once we were able to identify the ingredients, the key ingredients we need and the, the active ingredients that we needed and how to put that together, then from then it was fairly straightforward. And um, well, it wasn't necessarily straightforward because then you have to then formulate it so that, again, like, we're talking about cosmetics, it needs to be safe for the skin. You need to consider, you know, some people have sensitive skin. There's all of these different factors that, that you need to think about. And, you know, it's about literally like you could read a textbook on one particular ingredient and then have to worry about how that's going to mix with something else. Um, so uh, if you don't like reading, then you probably, you probably <laughs> struggle to do something like this. Um, and obviously learning. So is you, you basically give yourself like a crash course and you learn about every single ingredient and how it formulates with other, you know, with all the other ingredients, making sure that, you know, a, a wide range of people can use it. And then once we've got that, then it becomes fairly straightforward because I then particularly then don't worry too much about necessarily having, you know, the best aesthetically looking products because I believe in sort of like the M. Um, MVP um, sort of like you know coming up with something um, as long as the actual main product works um, I think I you know I came up with our brand name and our design in like a day or something like that I wasn't going to spend too much time on it I just wanted to put it out to see if this actually works for someone and then over time you can always iterate on those things that doesn't necessarily matter so much obviously make sure it's good enough to put out just don't put out like an um, um, like a bland looking product um, but for me I didn't really necessarily want to spend a lot of time because I know I knew those things didn't matter from experience right you can have the best looking products if it doesn't work and the customers don't like it they're not going to come back to buy it or they wouldn't have been bothered um, yeah our Instagram page wasn't the best looking either um, but what matters for us is with this people only care about results so all we posted about and I learned very on that if we're, and it, and it, anytime we posted anything that wasn't sort of like before and after so result result driven there was no engagement no one cared about it anytime we posted anything to do with results oh this person used our products for a month and this is the results that they got out of it and you can actually show the pictures in the videos that's when everyone cared um so yeah we would just you know post things like that on our instagram and um it wasn't necessarily sort of like you know aesthetically set up you know you won't come on the page and see all these beautiful great and everything like that it was just all results driven and i think going with that mindset and just you know just having a working product that people that really helped others um and you know making sure that uh we stay on the right side of the customer's mind by using natural only ingredients was really really important and um the other thing was niching down as well and i think this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs are scared to do but for us it was the best thing that we ever did um, our products will work on any skin type, any skin color. It doesn't matter. But for me, I noticed that there was a particular need um, in sort of like people of color slash black people because one, hyperpigmentation is more prevalent. Um, we get problematic to skin like eczema and all the um, and cirrhosis and those kind of things all the time. But then, if you think about it, any time that your skin goes through a certain level of stress, even if you get products to to combat it or to sort of like manage it and it goes away because you're you know you know your skin has gone through that level of stress there will always be an excess of melanin produced in that area because your skin is trying to compensate for it that's the one thing that um other skincare brands didn't understand about a, mel a melanated skin basically and then for me that was an angle that we can target that made sure that the people that really 
this was for, they were going to go all in for us. Like we can speak directly to our consumer and not necessarily water down the message. And men that for 97% of the market, no one really wanted to use their products because they don't see their skin type on there. And customers are very particular. We get um, questions all the time. Oh, would it work for my skin color? I only see the black people on there. Is it going to work for me because I'm white, etc.? And the answer is yes, but we really niche down and spoke to the black customer and just be like, listen, we understand your concern. We understand everything that you go through because we go through it ourselves as well. And this is what we're doing for you. Um, and for us, because we were able to sort of like narrow down that message, everyone that saw it and had the same issue instantly wanted to purchase because it's something that spoke directly to them. When you water down the message and just be like, we are this for everyone, you're not really for anyone because no one can really relate to what you're doing specifically because you're not able to speak directly to them, to the particular need and, and particular concern. So that's one of the things that we did um niching down that worked a treat for us and then i will always like sort of like advise people to don't worry about oh i need to go abroad because that's where i'm gonna find customers down the line honestly like you don't need you know 60 million people in the uk to buy a product for you to be a success right so think about you're more beneficial being able to speak directly to the exact person um that you were trying to solve this problem for rather than saying um, this for everyone because then no one really sees themselves in your products and then they're a bit wishy-washy about it. They don't really, really care or be passionate about it. Um, so yeah, so a few things we did that really helped us. I completely agree with that last point around targeted marketing. Um, I'm now into a space where I support small businesses and even in some cases uh, invest um, in small businesses. And my biggest concern is when a founder says to me, yeah, my product is for everyone. No. Um, <laughs> um, I, I understand why they would say that because they think it sounds attractive because, you know, here's this big uh, target market that you can reach. The yeah. problem with that is that you have so many different segments within a, a market who all are asking for different things. Yeah. If you don't have a targeted marketing approach, then nobody cares. Nobody wants it. Um, we we can't all be a Nike. And I think maybe people look at a, a brand like Nike who sells golf clubs to, to the middle class and also sells Jordans to the working class and think we can be like that. Um, that requires a multi-million, if not billion dollar marketing organization to, to make that happen. You're Even that segmented, right? Because yes. they've got, they've got, they've got, different different types of products targeted towards different you know, demographics and they yeah. they push budgets behind those differently so Ab absolutely and they use different influencers 100%. um they they use a different um tone of voice in yeah. the, even in their marketing yeah. um which requires a detailed understanding of each segment and yeah. if you're a new startup you definitely do not have the resource behind you to do that level of market research for yeah. so many different segments. So start off with one that you can understand um, and and build a community, which is yeah, which is what which is what you've done. And that community will become an ecosystem, and that ecosystem will support you. And if you want to grow into other markets uh, from that, then you can. Um, but as you said, it's so important to stay um, to stay true to your core audience, to the yeah. people who grew you, because they are your, your, your customer base, they are your foundation. Um, you also said something which I think was very interesting, which is um, you didn't spend much time and effort 
um, on the branding initially. Um, and I think that's something that resonates with me, once again, speaking to young founders who spend so much time working on their website, on their logo, on their business cards, all things that aren't necessarily going to make you money. But I don't so, think it's a business card to this day. Whenever I have conversations with people who tell me <laughs> that they're working on their business card, I, I, I get a shiver. Um, uh, there's one exception where I think, okay, well, maybe it's still relevant, which is in the fitness industry. Right. If you're in a, if you're a personal trainer, for instance, um, and you're training people in the park and somebody can meet clients and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But if you're working a a supply business, et cetera, and you're telling me about a business card, um, I get very, very worried. So, um, I completely agree with, with Yao's ethos. Um, the total amount of effort um, that you spend on designing your product's initial logo um, and designing your branding, et cetera, should be about a week at most. Um, And once you get traction, once the brand actually has got a customer base, then you can start worrying about making things look pretty. But let's not worry about making things look pretty when zero people are buying your product. Um, And I think there's, there's another point there, which is, Sometimes it's procrastination. Yeah. So you might need to look at yourself and ask yourself the question, am I just procrastinating? Am I spending a month trying to make my website perfect because mm-hmm. I'm actually nervous about launching? Yeah. Um, and you know, that that's something that I think maybe some 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 personal work is needed to be done to understand what are the maybe emotional blockers for you moving yeah. over to the next step. Yeah. Um, only thing I'll say to that is obviously don't put out anything that's scrappy or you no. Know, this us an excuse that oh, I'm not going to work on my brand. For example, like everything I did, I did on Canva. Like till no, till recently, we hadn't hired a designer, right? Um, now you can go on Canva and see some very very good fonts and logos that you can literally just like, put together in ten minutes, yeah. and you're good to go. Obviously, that's not an excuse to put out things that are very scrappy because people will see the brand and not necessarily trust it. But the point is like, don't go spending thousands of pounds, like, you know, just trying to get the perfect, everything perfect, everything like lined up, put something that's just good enough to go and then worry about it the rest later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect is the enemy of good. Um, And you couldn't say it better yourself. Canva, if you haven't heard about it, I think a subscription is like 10, 15 pounds a month and it gives you all of these different types of tools that you can use to create some really good creative. So something like that for an early business, absolutely recommend it. Um, Moving back into the area of anxiety, I think when I hear you talk about shaping your first product, one of the things that came to my mind is you're producing something which people are going to consume. and in this instance, they're going to apply to their, to their skin. Yeah. Um, and there must be a level of nervousness around, when am I going to get my email saying that this person get a rash off my product? Or when am I going to get an email saying that this person had an allergic reaction? Yeah. Um, and obviously you went through a, an in-depth um, approvals process. Um, but you've also been in the food and beverage industry, which yeah. means that some of those same concerns um were, were, were present in your career for, for quite a while so, yeah. so so my question around that is um for the audience can you can open our eyes to what the uk approvals process looks like if i yeah. wanted to get a skincare product or even a, a food and beverage product mm-hmm. into the uk market 
what kind of checks and balances need to be taken, not only to protect the consumer, but to mm-hmm. protect me as well, so that yeah. I know that I'm actually producing something that's safe. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So what I'll say is, obviously, I wouldn't recommend everyone goes about and be their own formulator because obviously you need to understand exactly what you're doing. Either you take your time and go through like extensive research, or you hire a formulator, basically. Um, but in terms of like the checks and balances, like in the UK, um, I think the UK and the EU are some of the strictest when it comes to this. Um, if you're producing from America, is so relaxed um but the the downside is in america anyone can sue you because (laughs) (laughs) that's just the nature of it so for me i actually prefer the uk version because obviously you go through all these checks and balances before you can put anything out and essentially the two main things that they look at is one um is your product because essentially like a lot of um cosmetics are developed with, with water like most things you probably can't do without water and the main thing is like with water product is gonna water encourages bacteria growth basically. Um, so they they they're really careful on making sure that the product is very well preserved. And there's this trend that goes on line about oh like people using no preservative products and that is totally wrong because like if you've got water in your products literally you've got seven days max and it's going to start going off right so this whole no preservative thing is really really dangerous um when it comes to that in the food and beverage they've got a different way of doing it by basically doing like a um a hot heat flash whereby they flash heat the thing to like very very quickly to about i don't know like several degrees celsius and cool it straight down and that can preserve it for about a year or something like that in, in cosmetics, you can't do that because if you hot, hot heat flash it, you, some of your products are not going to be effective. So you, you need to use appropriate preservatives and making sure that products that are developed with water are basically preserved properly. It's not going to go off and people are not going to be putting bacteria on their skin. That's number one. Um, number two, obviously, if you don't have water in your products, then it's slightly different uh, because then your product is all going to be oil-based. So you can only use water or oil, basically. Um, if your product is 100% oil-based, then again, you don't necessarily need a preservative because it doesn't have water in it. But oils can also go rancid and you have to put... The only thing that can stop with oils from going rancid is... And this is like a crash course in like um, <laughs> cosmetics biology. Keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> I'm enjoying uh, it. But, but only thing to stop oils from going rancid is by putting in... Uh, one percent of vitamin e oil basically so that's why you see vitamin e on a lot of um skincare products not i mean vitamin e is is good for you but it's not there (laughs) the the number one go is not there for your skin basically the one goes there to stop all the oil elements from going rancid um so so those are the two main things that they'll look for but then obviously they will test for stability as well um because a lot of the times you get like a water slash oil mixture with um, uh, emollients and, you know, you basically put things together so that you can hold your water and um, oils pass together. And then they test to see that those doesn't fall apart over time, right? So if you were to sit it down, like, you can mix it together now. Um, everything is mixed properly. And, you know, after a week, it's still fine. It might not be the same case a month later on. So obviously, you know, they'll test for separation. So there's a, there's a, you know, um, so the, the 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 bacteria test, this uh, this this stability test, and then they look at the ingredients that is in there as well, and the percentages of each single ingredient that you've got in your in your formulation. So that's just to make sure that you're not putting too much of something that will necessarily be harmful for the customer in there. So you actually have to submit. Obviously, you do sign and they do sign an NDA 
whatever lab that you test with, but you have to give them the full recipe, the full everything, basically at the exact percentages. So that obviously, because the labs are certified to be able to know, you know, what is bad for the skin. You can't put too much of certain things, for example, um, you know, using too much of essential oils can burn your skin, right? And if you don't know that and you've got 5% essential oil in your formulation, that could be terrible for the customer if you haven't gone through a testing process. But the moment it gets to the lab and the lab sees that, they're going to put you up on it and they, they can't approve it. So there's all these checks and balances in place um, that essentially make sure that the final products that you're going to put out generally should be safe for the your average consumer to use on their skin without necessarily them going through you know some crazy reactions or stuff like that but like you said there will always be you know a small number of people that might necessarily react to something in your products that will not necessarily stop the approval process going through because again obviously not everything will you know will be good for everybody's skin they, they're not there's no way you can approve something that works for every single person because people have slightly different skins, but they approve it generally for the general population. Um, but there is that level of anxiety thinking, oh my God, like this is going to go wrong and, you know, someone's going to have a terrible reaction and it's all going to go online and it's gonna, that's going to be the end of the business. <laughs> and honestly, like in the line of business we're in, that, that's something that you wake up every day and think about and worry about. Um but you need to be able to gather the courage to know that, okay, cool, you've done all your necessary things so that obviously, even in the worst case, if you get sued, as long as you've gone through your checks and balances and you've got all your approvals and everything like that, and you have um, uh, insurance, then you should be able to weather that storm. Um, that's not to say you just put it in there and not care about your customers. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want anyone to go through a terrible reaction. And that's why also you have to declare every single ingredient in your product on your website so your customers know exactly what they're buying. The ingredients need to be on the website before they purchase so they can read it. And they need to be on the container as well um, before they purchase it. So th these are some of the regulations that we have to add, um, adhere to, um, to, obviously to protect the customers. So everyone knows what they're buying, but sometimes some customers don't even know what they will react to, right? So they'll buy it not having tried some ingredients before and they get a reaction. And at that point, what do you do, right? Um, um, sometimes there's little you can do. Um, obviously, you can, for us, we will probably just like, I don't know, support the customer through whatever that they're going through in any way possible that we can. Um, but that risk is still there and it's up to you to make sure that you've done everything legally possible, you know, to cover yourself so that you don't put the business at risk. Yeah. Um, in terms of backlash that comes online, um, unfortunately, you're just going to have to find a way to deal with it when that time happens, right? <laughs> um, and as long as you've got a loyal fan base and it's working for most people, you can't, um, you can't protect yourself against, you know, some of these things. Um, but having like a good foundation is what's always going to help because then sometimes we get customers fight our, but uh, our battles for us. Um, not to say our product works for every single person. There was that one or two people that it doesn't work for. And sometimes you see them go online. You're like, Oh, no one should buy this. It doesn't work. We see that. I see that all the time. Right. And then like two hours later, we would get someone that literally the product worked wonderfully for. They were like, well, if it didn't work for you, then speak for yourself. Like for me, <laughs> you know, like it worked like a treat. So again, like you're able to build a community that sometimes actually fight your battles for you. And it just testament to say that if you're putting out good enough products, then obviously um, you should be able to benefit from these. But of course, if you're putting out a trash, then obviously then the business is not going to survive anyway. Um, that, that, yeah, yeah. That, 
that's testament <laughs> to, to good customer service. I think when yeah. you look after your customers, yeah. um, and maybe I'm being biased, but I think in particular in the black community, yeah, in, and I'm going to be even more biased in particular black women. When you yeah. look after them, they look, look after, after you. you. 100%. Um, and I, I think that's a, a really important lesson for consumers to take, um, for, for business owners to take away that the respect that you give your customers or the lack of respect will be returned to you. Um, it's our nature as entrepreneurs and as business individuals to ignore the 99% of positive reviews. Yeah. and spend our time looking at that one negative review 100%. Um, but we have to yeah we develop thick skin and we have to put things in into its 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 proper context um now i've really enjoyed talking about some of the tactical strategic elements of your business mm-hmm. um but now i just want to ask you simply you know you you have produced a product which has received good reviews I've, I've been on um the your social media i've been on the website and i've seen yeah. some of the the really positive feedback that you've received and that must have given you a sigh of relief uh, a year ago when this business first started when you started yeah. seeing the first couple of people come through I so m- my question is how does it feel um or how yeah how does it feel now that the reviews have come in and people love the product and you know your customer numbers are growing um how is how does it feel and how has this changed your life? Um, to be honest, it's still overwhelming. Um, like it, when I think about it, it just to me it's crazy, right? To like and every day, like like we get new reviews coming through of people actually, and then it's like so one of our slogans, slogans is that we want it's not necessarily about the products, but we want to help people regain their confidence because at the end of the day, that's that's really the underlining issue, uh, at least for me anyway. Um, you can struggle with anything, but sometimes not everyone is able, like, like people's um, skin issues affect them differently. And unfortunately for others, it really, really dampens their confidence. And for me, that's what it's all about. So you get these messages of people that genuinely just like, listen, like, I'm so happy I came across your product. Um, like I wasn't even able to, step out without wearing makeup and you know now like everyone's complimenting me on on, on my skin and you actually hear the joy in their voice and for me that's what it's all about and we see that literally like every day and it's literally still like blows my mind and sometimes I'm not even sure if they're talking about our products or not like really like uh the products actually did that like that's that's absolutely crazy and we've, we we discover like new use cases all the time like people using it for to treat like things that we didn't, we didn't even think about and it's working for them um so that feels very surreal i don't like i don't that feeling has still not gone away because those reviews are coming in every single day like every single day you're hearing new things um in terms of how it's changed my life like I've always, like we said before, like we've always, I've always strived to have sort of like financial freedom, not necessarily have to worry about money. And for, I don't necessarily do it for the money, but at the same time, like, I'll, I mean, and, and, and this is cliche as well, like every entrepreneur that has seen a level of sex is like, oh, I don't do it for the money extra. But let's not forget that you get to a certain stage of income where any extra doesn't really make a difference to you. Like it doesn't really make a big difference to your life. Like as long as obviously you're comfortable, able to pay your bills and the family's happy, everything. Um, And for me, we've now, I've now managed to get to that stage that I've always strived for since I was 18. And I'm now 29. So like literally like 10 years in the making, finally something is working, right. That's able to get us to that stage. And 
and it's crazy like we'll be i think we've got we've got our one year anniversary coming up um in about three weeks time like about like october october 16th and it's like in 12 months we've done like two million pounds in sales i'm like like literally it's just it's absolutely mind-blowing um so yeah, it's literally changed everything for me. Now we're able to try different things, you know, try different products. We can afford to, you know, throw something in the wall, see if it sticks. If it doesn't stick, you know, I go call like, you know, we take it on the show, then move on, knowing that we still have the base, everything is there that we can rely on. Um, it's absolutely life-changing, um, changes the life of people around me as well. Um, friends and families that, you know, needed a job i've now got one and they'll have to worry about you know going through pandemic a lot of people around me sort of like lost their jobs and now they all work for us i think now we employ about 20 people um so yeah it's absolutely absolutely crazy absolutely life-changing and 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 is for me as well for the people that work with us and for our customers as well so like at, at, at every angle is i look at the business every day and my mind is like oh my god like this is so crazy um so yeah, it's just, I'm very, very fortunate but it, to be in this position. And and how has this affected your family? So I want to I want to talk about your extended. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your extended family. So yeah. you know, you mentioned that your 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 mum came came over over here, um, uh, and you know, was this that was her first time even experiencing the cold of the UK, yeah. and obviously came here to to change her fate and to, to, to give you a, a, a better, better life. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to talk about your extended family and I'd also like to talk about your immediate family. So your yeah. wife and, um, and any, any on the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, for my extended family is worse. So it's a bit of, um, I can see that they're proud, but it's, 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 it's also cause especially I know me and this is what I've always wanted, right? Sort of like growing up. I could tell it was getting to a stage where they were getting a bit worried in terms of like, what's y'all doing in this life kind of thing. Because um, even look at it, like all my friends and everything sort of like from uni, you know, everyone's just like banking and law, which is just like, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can see now, like everyone is sort of like getting promoted. People are getting to like associate level and VP level, bringing in the six figures, you know, salaries. And there's me just trying to figure out, you know, what's the next business, right? Um, you know, so I've got, I've got like younger siblings who are now all coming through the ranks and then they're getting their jobs and getting promoted. And then, you know, there's like, because I could tell my mom was getting a bit, sometimes it gets to the stage where Stan's get a bit worried. I'm like, yo, like, you know, like your younger brother's not like that kind of, on this six figure salary, like, what are you doing kind of thing um so for me like i'm i'm happy to be able to make them proud to sort of like show them that i wasn't necessarily crazy trying to you know i mean in a way you kind of have to be to diligently pursue this path and i think they see it and then that they now understand you know certain things that maybe they didn't understand before and for me that's sort of like all the joy and happiness that i need they don't necessarily require anything from me um but obviously i do give them everything that they need or that they don't even ask for anyway so um that's that's humbling for me as well um uh with close family wife and kids so i've got two kids and in that area it's tough because um there is me right just like and she's been through a lot obviously being with someone that is necessarily in the way a little bit stubborn about this is the um the path and career I want to pursue and you do think like she's been with me for the last what well, so we've been together for the last uh 
so we've been married for three years, been together for about six years. Um, so she's seen the last six years of me probably trying three different things that never worked out. And then she's thinking, oh, so like, you know, what's our family dynamics going to be like? You know, you always wanted to do this thing. Like, you know, when are you going to get a job? <laughs> that kind of conversation. <laughs> um, so like, we've been through all of that. We've had it. Um, and for me, now that we also seen a level of success, it's almost like, oh, okay. So now the business has, has, become, uh, has also become all encompassing and it's down to me to be able to make sure that we can like, sort of like set aside family time and you know spend quality time and not necessarily get consumed with everything to do with the business because if you allow yourself honestly you're gonna because you know the workload is never gonna go away right and i'm one um i'm the kind of person that has always been sort of like just working crazy hours just to make sure that something works especially when you work for yourself as well um you know you have you you have a a sense of responsibility but now i need to understand it's not just about me like obviously you know that the kids you know you don't want to be the kind of parent where all you do is just go to work and you're not really present you know like all of this is nice but at the end of the day like what really matters right you know there's no point making all of this money and you have no one to spend it with or you don't even come home you know to your wife and kids and all of that stuff um so for me that's important as well making sure that you know i'm very strict in my time you know getting home you know not getting home past say i don't know half six or seven o'clock just to make sure that I can spend a few hours with the kids before they go to bed. Um, you know, you know, you know, blocking weekends out so I can spend some time with my wife and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, but I can tell it's not easy for her as well, because sometimes it also requires me to be sort of like not present, but for short periods of time when we're going through something difficult at work when, okay, cool. Like this is falling apart. Like I need to make sure I've got all my attention on it. I'm working till like 10, 11 PM at night up early, you know, out of the house. Um, that doesn't happen frequently, but obviously um, on her side as well, she's understanding enough to know sort of like the um, the journey we're on and what it requires, um, you know, and what the re- business requires from us from time to time. So it's about having that balance and having that understanding between you two. And if that's not there, then like, you're really going to struggle. Um, we like, not to say everything's perfect, like we really struggled like at the very beginning because there was me like, oh, listen, like this is what I want to do. Like I need to work in X amount of hours. And then from my perspective, well, well you're not really spending any time with me, extra, extra, you know, what are you doing this for? So I've, I've, I've gone through the process of learning as well. So um, yes, yeah, and for me, like now I understand sort of like where she comes from as well. At the same time, she's able to understand me and know that during certain times, you know, that I need to be sort of like, you know, away, you know, dive deep into business, you know, certain, certain things out for short periods of time. So that level of understanding is really important, um, very, very important um, to be able to make a success. And just around that, do you remember, do you remember the conversation or a conversation with your wife? which made things click into place in terms of there was clarity from your, your end in terms of what was expected of you. And maybe there was clarity from her end in terms of how, um, how, how things might, might, might be for the next couple of years. Do you, you know, do you, do you remember how, for instance, you went from somebody who was trying to drag her along with this journey to somebody who had a supporting um, uh, co-pilot? Um, for me, I think, I think, I think it was when we had kids, that's, that's when the real flip switch happened. Prior to that, I think I was a bit stubborn, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly, apologies to her. Um, <laughs> but then when we had kids, all of a sudden I realized that, oh, like, 
listen, like it's not necessarily, and there was also me just like looking outwards and just looking at, you know, what other mothers complain about with you no know, non-present, you know, fathers and, you know, parents. And I never wanted my kids to really go through that. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was a real sort of like eye-opener moment to understand that, listen, like it's not necessarily about work all the time you can go out and do all these hours but at the same time like if you're not present in your kids life then what's, what's the point like what are you really doing this for and I think from her perspective as well when she finally started seeing this working and she realized oh actually maybe I'm not crazy after all <laughs> right so <laughs> she understood that okay, cool. maybe you know what he's doing there's a there's a um there's a method to the madness in a certain way so obviously that also allowed her to understand elements from my perspective as well but for me sort of like also understanding that okay cool like you know and the balance helps and I think like everyone needs to understand the balance in their own household and you know work out what works for the both of you um to be able to make it work right I'm not I'm not advocating like you know that not necessarily me being the guy I go up to work and that it, it doesn't really work like that it's about understanding okay cool like she met me sort of like always wanting to be an entrepreneur and having this drive and sort of like she understood that from the very, very beginning. Um, so having an innate understanding of your partner and obviously like she's the one with all the like the the nurturing skills as well, but then I don't necessarily leave everything to her because obviously that's not fair. Everyone gets tired. So we do share roles in the house and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so like for me, it was having kids that really switched everything for me, making sure that the call, like I'm home on time to support her and what she's doing, you know, having bath time and, you know, spending time with the kids and making dinner, et cetera, because she was like, she's tired. Like she can tired from work, everything else. Um, and for her, it was like, okay, cool. Actually what he's doing is working. So maybe he's not so crazy. He doesn't need to get a job actually, after all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we all want. None of us want <laughs> exactly. I need to support him, you know, you know, pushing this forward you know, as far as he can. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed today's conversation um, to the point that I've got maybe six or seven more questions that I could ask. Right. I won't. I mean, questions around, you know, the dynamics of hiring friends and family and that, right. that, that uh, kind of works. Um, yeah, it's crazy. The, the challenges that you face with social media, the, the, um, the, the process of actually creating a loyal customer base and developing great customer service. There are so many different avenues that we could take this down, but I'd say that that might be one for another time, potentially. 100%. Um, so, but, but I'd, I would like to finish off with the question that we, we tend to ask all of our um, founders. Yeah. Um, and you, you've maybe alluded to it slightly, but I, I'd li like to give you a, uh, the stage to, to maybe delve into it a bit. Um, your most memorable expensive lesson on your journey. It could be of the Ava Estelle journey. It could be of your entire entrepreneurship journey. What stands out to you as your, your most significant expensive lesson to date? Um, I think for me, it was sort of not understanding the value of patience throughout through building this because i think a lot of the times we look outwards and we see people doing great things and you know we see like you know 20 year olds coming up with the next billion dollar companies i think for me i i probably set unnecessary pressure on myself and i always have like a goal like a deadline you know i want to have a successful business or business doing x amount of revenue by 25 extra and that's all arbitrary and just not having um having the perspective to, to understand that sometimes it's not actually about me and what I'm doing or putting out there and understanding that sometimes it's all about the timing and all the stars aligning for you, regardless of how good you think you are, you can have the perfect business 
at the wrong time, right? And for me, like, and I only came to that realization when I saw all of those elements come together for Avery. So I'm like, oh, it's crap, like literally. So I've been stressing myself all of this while for literally no reason. I literally like pull out my hair, right? Of course, I mean, it, all, it will be stressful when you're doing things that are not working out. Um, you know, like everyone wants to do something and all of a sudden see success on it. But having, you know, being like being humble enough to understand that, listen, I only need to be right once. Obviously, keep yourself going. You need to find ways of paying your bills, etc. But not necessarily almost being depressed about the journey and understanding, listen, like other people are going to see success before you. It doesn't matter that whether, you know, like, it, and and really that doesn't matter. Like, it's just, it's not your time yet, really. You just believe it in that and continuing to hone your craft. At one point, I, I almost gave up because I thought, do you know what? This is not really going to work. That was the point. But then also losing sight of people actually become entrepreneurs at 40, 50. And that's when they see success. Like, yeah. wait, at 29, you're still very young. Mm. You know, why are you going to throw in the towel now? Yes, I mean, like, have a job, like, have side hustles. And at one day, like, all the stars will line. As long as, obviously, you put in enough effort, as long as you're learning, and then as long as obviously you're doing what is required of you as an entrepreneur, um, you know, doing all the necessary steps in your customer research and not necessarily just, you know, not, I'm, I'm, I won't say sort of like, just go at it anyhow, not committed to it, your, your hustle or, or your passion in any way. But if you're doing all of those things, like genuinely, and you're learning from your experiences, like I will say, keep going. Like at one point, all of those things were aligned and, you know, don't worry yourself too much about what others are doing. Um, yeah, I think that was a, that was unnecessary headaches that I gave myself. Um, I would like to give you like a tangible, like this, like, Oh, I did this and I lost like 10 K or something like that. And that probably happened. But for me, like me knowing myself, I really, I don't hold on to a lot of that pain for long because it's happened one too frequently anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, those things probably don't even matter anymore. Like, like I just take it in the chin and just move on. Um, yeah. I'm, I think prior to this, I've probably, I don't know, blown about 30, 40 K just you know, trying to start different businesses along the journey that never really returned any, you know, any fruitful results that happens. That's just part of the journey. If you're going to go down this journey that like, you need to be mad enough to be able to do that. If you can't, then maybe it's not for you after all. Yeah. Um, me it was just that the mentally just like beating myself down um i think i could i, I could have avoided that and then maybe I, I might have been more successful successful earlier on who knows but um yeah that's how that'll say for me um yeah that, that that lesson really resonates with me also i mean you said that there was a point where you were contemplating giving giving up and you know just imagine what would have happened if you did give up with the knowledge now that just a few years later you'd yeah. be running a business that was turning over two million pounds plus um and and that's my encouragement to everybody really you don't know what next year holds and that yeah. might be the year where you're successful it doesn't mean being irrational it doesn't mean being um reckless but yeah. maintaining um resilience and being consistent with your vision if you believe it could be successful is probably one of the biggest skills that you could have um i'm very privileged um i speak to to founders um on a regular basis with extraordinary stories and today is no exception i'm, I'm blessed to, to have been able to speak to you this morning uh yeah um to, to give me some some nuggets and it's so interesting to hear 
um, your experiences being distilled into a couple of sound bites, into a couple of really sharp messages that that people can take away. And for that, um, I'm really grateful. Um, where can people find you? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I think I'm predominantly on Instagram. Like, I'm not like a very like massive social person, but since I started, you know, building the business, you can find me on Instagram at yao underscore ok. So that's y a w underscore ok. Um, uh, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Type in my name, and I'll probably pop up. Um, that's probably like the two main platforms I'm on. Um, there's a lot going on in life for me to be actively on every social media at the moment. <laughs> so um, Instagram is the main one, basically. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, and from us at Expensive Lessons, uh, we want to, to thank you for joining us and wish you much more success uh, in the future. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors share with you the fruits of their labour over their interesting long and winding journeys. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.